Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm author and publisher Tracy L. Slatten. It's my belief that the most interesting, creative, and original voices today are heard outside of the big corporations, studios, and galleries. Individuals of courage, inspiration, and vision are seizing the opportunities to create and promote their art themselves. I'm here to support them and to bring their stories to you. On this show, I'll interview independent artists of all kinds, unusual thinkers, and even some healers about their process. How do they do it? How do they start with an idea and bring it to life in the world? This show intends to illuminate the journey. Feel free to call in to 516-453-6052 with questions or live chat with me at blogtalkradio.com slash independent artists thinkers. Great to have you with us. Tracy L. Slatten, hosting Independent Artists and Thinkers. I'm so happy to welcome you to the show. I've got a really cool show lined up for you today. Um, and I have to admit right at the beginning that I'm just getting over a pretty bad cold, so I might sneeze or sniffle, so I apologize. But um, I'm carrying on anyways and really excited for this show. I'm also really happy that so many people are listening to the show live and in the archives and in the iTunes podcast channel. So thanks for tuning in. I created this show to support those brave souls who are operating outside the structures of the big established corporations. As the intro to the show says, I intend to illuminate the unusual journey and to bring it to you. I'm interested in alternatives to conventional thinking and conventional answers. I'm interested in creativity, fresh ideas, unusual perspectives, and originality. And this show aims to bring you models of people who embody those qualities. Please do call in with questions or comments to 516-453-6052. You can also live chat me at blogtalkradio.com slash independent artist thinkers. And the, the live chat is open. So if you're in the chat room, say hello and type in questions you'd like me to ask. Email me in between shows if you'd like to suggest a guest or have me ask questions of a particular guest. You can reach me at tracy at tracylslatin.com. Next week on Thursday, February 11th at 1 p.m., um, children's book author Bruce Coville is supposed to be on the show, and I don't have all his information, but I, I think he's uh, confirmed. So that'll be fun. He writes really great books. Um, I also have an announcement about some forthcoming guests of the show, but I don't have dates. And those of you who are friends know that my husband, Sabin Howard, and his visionary partner, Joe Weishauer, won the World War I Memorial Design Competition for a memorial in Pershing Park in Washington, D.C. I don't have a date and time for them, but they will be guests on the show, uh, and probably after Bruce Coville. Um, but it's up to their schedule. They've got a lot going on. Also, the show may be on hiatus toward the end of February for a week or two, but we will be back in March. So tune in and keep checking the website, independentartistthinkers.com, and the Blog Talk Radio page to find out who will be on the show. Okay, so I'm I'm wiping my nose. All right. I'm so delighted today to have Broadway actress and yoga teacher Mary Michael on the show. 
Mary Michael is a New York-based actress, singer, dancer, and yoga teacher. She grew up in Texas and graduated summa cum laude with her BFA in musical theater from the University of Michigan. Since then, she has performed on Broadway in Anything Goes and The Phantom of the Opera as Christine Day. Mary Michael has performed across the country at, at theaters including the Denver Center, Syracuse Stage, Pittsburgh Civic Light Opera, Oslo Repertory, the St. Louis Muni, Music Theater Wichita, Casa Manana Theater, and Carnegie Hall. She has been a featured soloist with the Fairfax Symphony Orchestra and the American Pops Orchestra. Mary Michael holds certifications in restorative and yin yoga and is studying the effects of the subtle body on our creativity and all over well-being. She lives in Queens with her fiancé, Carrie, and her dog, Massimo. You can find out more about Mary at www.marymichaelpatterson.com. Mary, welcome. Thanks for being on the show. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited you're and so happy. I know Madeline, my daughter, is going to listen because she's such a fan of yours. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Well, we're going to start with you, and this is the question I like to begin with with my guests because it's a nice, big, juicy question. So feel free to seize the question and, and follow it to where you'd like to take it. And that is, how did you begin your journey, and what has it taken for you to arrive at the place where you are currently? What training did you have? When did you know you were going to be an actress and a singer and a yoga teacher? Were these things a major presence in your home when you were growing up? What did you think you would be? So start with your childhood and lead up till now. Okay, great. Um, So I grew up in Texas, and I have an older sister. And my mom and my dad um, are not artists. Uh, but they're very creative and they're definitely fans and supporters of the arts. And so my mom, from a very young age, put us in dance class and piano lessons, and it became a part of my life when I was about three. So I started dancing and um, kept dancing and then added singing lessons, and um, I would go to theater classes, and I basically grew up at a theater in Fort Worth called Casa Manana, which is a really... A wonderful place. It's a, a theater in the round, and it used to put on the most amazing productions. It still does. It went through a little bit of a, a dip for a while. It went under new management, but it's it's back now, and it's a great place. And so I studied there, and it was a lot of like theater games and theater classes, and I would perform in the main stage shows. And so theater was always a part of my life and a part of my sister's life. And so um, it it didn't ever really occur to me to make a decision about what I wanted to do. It just was who I was. I I was always interested in being on stage. I was always interested in, in practicing and studying um, dance and music. And it, it, it was never something that I consciously said, okay, I'm going to do this for a living. Um, I think I just didn't think that there was anything even remotely possible to do. What else could you do except for tell these stories and, and, and practice? I love to practice and, and work on things, work on my craft. So from a very young age, that was, that was always um, a part of who I was. And when I got to high school, I became more serious about my training, and I was studying dance pretty, um, pretty rigorously. And I was going to summer intensive programs around the country. So um, I went to a program called uh, Debbie Allen Dance Academy, which is in the summer, and it was very intense training. I mean, you know, long, 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 long days and um, 
very strict and a lot of discipline and structure. And it was wonderful because it kind of set me up for uh, the way that the professional world works, which is, you know, you have to self-motivate in order to keep uh, making progress and keep getting ahead. So it was great training in my high school years. And then I went to a program called Broadway Theater Project, which is in Tampa, Florida. Um, it has since been restructured, but it used to be um, uh, led by Anne Reinking. Um, and it was a wonderful program to go to because it was also very disciplined and structured. And I was one of the youngest kids in my group. So I was 15, but there were people up to like 25 there. So I was with a lot of older people who were already in the professional world. They were already in schools um, pursuing their their bachelor's degrees in musical theater and, and dance and, and music. And in that training program, I really sort of understood what it would take to do it professionally for the first time. And I got a glimpse of how difficult it can be and how difficult it inevitably will be at, at times. And um, that program was three weeks and I did it for three years and it also allowed me to find the University of Michigan because I knew I wanted to study musical theater, but being from Texas, there aren't a lot of musical theater programs in Texas and there certainly weren't um, when I was looking at colleges. There are more now, but it was a relatively sort of new degree program. You know, you could study music, you could study dance and you could study theater, but the combination of the three hadn't really become a popular thing yet. And so I, um, I, in classes, as I was watching these people perform and watching my peers, I noticed that I really admired all of the people that were from Michigan for a couple of reasons. They were really um, outstanding performers, but they were also really humble and generous people. And I thought, well, that's a good, that's a good combination. I don't see that in a lot of other places. I see, you know, really good performers, but I see maybe some people who are kind of, um, driven to be a little bit more, um, not backstabbing, but, you know, the potential of, of that and sort of like mm -hmm. pushing people out of the way to get where you want instead of being really generous and, and knowing that there's enough for everybody. And I, so I witnessed all these people and I thought, okay, well, if that's the quality that all these people possess and they have in common, then I, I really want to go to that school. So I auditioned and, um, I couldn't afford to fly to Michigan, um, for the audition, I couldn't afford to visit. So I auditioned for all of the programs that I applied for in uh, Chicago at the Unified Auditions. Mm -hmm. And I auditioned for all these schools at once. I think I did like 12 auditions. And, wow. Um, yeah, it was, a, it was a crazy weekend of my senior year. And um, I was very fortunate in that I got into all my programs and I was very lucky to have a, a lot of choices uh, but it really came down to financial aid and um, scholarship money because I, I needed some help to go to school. So Michigan was was great, and they they were able to help me out, and I got some grant money and some scholarship money. And I, without ever having visited Michigan, <laughs> moved to Ann Arbor, Michigan for my freshman year of school Wow! and um, saw the campus for the first time when I moved. And I absolutely fell in love with it. And I couldn't have made a better decision. It's where I met my fiance and I had some of the best years of my life. And um, it's a, it's an incredible place and an incredible department and just housed in like, you know, one of the best universities in the country. It's so, so great. So I, I finished my training uh, there. And in that time of training, you kind of lead up to, senior year, which is the year that you prepare to move to New York, or most people do. Um, it makes 
a logical leap for us because, you know, New York is where theater is happening for the most part. Mm -hmm. So um, we prepared a senior showcase is what they call it. And it's something that we, it's like a 45 minute show that everyone is featured in and we perform it for agents and casting directors in the city. And from that, we were able to make connections and sort of get um, our career started in some ways. And I was Mm -hmm. able to find representation through that. So I found my agent and um, moved to the city and started auditioning. And uh, from that, I was auditioning for about, I think, eight months um, or so, six to eight months, when I was really very lucky to get um, my first Broadway show, which was Anything Goes. And it was a show so that I auditioned for. That's how you broke into Broadway? You auditioned for Anything Goes and got it? Well, I mean, I auditioned for a million other things before that and didn't get them. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that audition, I actually went in for a different Broadway show. Um, I went in to audition for, it was a short-lived revival of On a Clear Day, You Can See Forever, which they revived with Jesse Mueller. It didn't, it didn't run long, but I had an audition for that. And I went in and I had a great audition and the casting director said, you know, you're not right for this, but I really would like to see you for Anything Goes. And I said, oh, great. And the show was already open. I actually was living with, uh, my roommate was in the show at the time. So I had already seen it. Um, It's a great show. And I said, yeah, I would love to be seen. And they were replacing uh, the girl that was covering or understudying Laura Osnes at the time, who was playing Hope Harcourt. And so they needed a new understudy. And I went in and I had a really great audition. And it was a very easy process. I tend to find now that the things that are supposed to happen tend to just be really easily uh, accessible and they just happen when they're supposed to. So I, I went in two times and I um, I booked my first Broadway show and it was a was really good timing because I was I was struggling really a lot financially. I was waiting tables and I was nannying and I was just uh, I think I was like the day that I got the show, I was sitting across from my best friend at a little cafe and I had my head in my hands and I said, I don't know how I'm going to pay my rent this month. And I'm frustrated and I'm working so hard. And then like 20 minutes later, I got a call from my agent and they said, you're wow. going to make your Broadway debut. So um, it was definitely one of those, you know, it, it came at the at the right moment and it was uh, such a dream come true. That cast was incredible. It was led by Sutton Foster, uh, legend and, and Tony winner and um, it's just a happy show and it was fun to do every night and we had a great time and I did the show for about a year I did it until it closed and it was a it was a, a dream truly like every step of the way I thought this is exactly what I thought would be my life you know performing on Broadway this is what I've always wanted to do so uh, I did Anything Goes for a year, and then that closed. And I did a lot of regional work the year after that um, because I made the decision to, um, as much as I loved being in the ensemble and um, covering one of the leads, I, I decided I really wanted to try and play one of the leads myself. So I, I really kind of tried to make the decision to say, okay, I'm going to audition for principal roles. I'm going to take principal roles in you know, Syracuse, New York, and Denver, and these places that are not Broadway, but so that they can kind of boost my resume. And what's most important to me is that I, I want to be the one playing the roles. That's, that's important to me. So I, I made that decision and, and uh, was very fortunate to have a bunch of projects that lined up that year. And um, 
so you know traveling around the country which is very very common for for theater actors i mean i don't think people think about it very much because we think about broadway as being you know sort of what we want and it certainly is but there's like a tiny 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 percentage of working actors that are working on broadway and then everyone else is working out of town and they're working at regional theaters and they're um, doing commercials and, and doing things that can sustain them and also fulfill them creatively. So I love working out of town and I've, I had a wonderful time at all those different theaters. And when I got back to New York from Denver, um, I had actually what was doing a show called Sense and Sensibility, which was a musical adaptation of the novel. And um, I was, playing Marianne and it was a wonderful experience and a girl on the show said hey have you ever auditioned for Phantom before and I said no I I haven't that's so funny that you said that I mean it's something I never really thought of myself as doing I don't know why Mm -hmm. it's always been one of my favorite shows and um and she said I think you should audition for it and I said okay well I'll give my agents a call and I called my agents and I said hey you know I don't know if they're looking for anybody right now for Christine but if they are I'd love to throw my my name in the ring and um, it just so happened that they were looking for someone like that month. So my agent said, oh, right. Right. So this, this is perfect, you know, so I, uh-huh. I got an audition and, um, that I, I walked in and I had a really great first audition and the, the team was very complimentary and, um, they said, Hey, can you come back on Tuesday? Can you come to the majestic theater and audition, which is traditionally, um, Broadway auditions were actually at the Broadway theaters that, very rare now, um, and I had actually never done that before, but uh, they said, your callback's going to be on the stage of the Majestic, and it's going to be at 5 p.m. on a Tuesday, so before curtain, you know, nobody's going to be there except for the team, and I said, okay, okay, so I walked in, and, you know, there was no one in the theater except for the five or six people that were watching the audition, and um, I stood on the set of the Phantom and did the scene with one of the understudies and sang the songs, and I think the next morning I got a call and they said, you're going to be the next Christine. And it was very, wow. very, um, you know, sort of meant to be. It's just, it's funny how those things like they just present themselves and then you follow through and they're there. And so it was just very surreal. And that show was one of the shows that definitely made me want to be an actress because I saw it when I was nine. I saw the touring production in Fort Worth. And I just remember watching it and thinking, that's exactly what I want to do. I'm, I want to sing those songs. I want to wear those costumes. And there, there isn't a more exciting female role than Christine. I mean, she's just so powerful and strong. And um, it's, just a, it's a wonderful role and a wonderful show. And so to get to do it was, was just so full circle. And it felt kind of like a dream the whole time I was there. Uh, I did it for about a year and a half, and um, at the end of that, I uh, started doing a lot of concert work, which is actually what I've been doing primarily, and I sing with symphonies, and I do a lot of sort of like one- and two-night gigs now. Um, and what kind of because, singing do you do? Um, mostly like Great American Songbook, so classics, um, mostly the musical theater repertoire, so like... You know, I'm, I'm doing a Rodgers and Hammerstein show in D.C. in um, a couple of weeks, and that's going to be all Rodgers and Hammerstein tunes. So uh, really traditional songs, usually. And because they're with symphonies, they're just, 
you know, it sounds magnificent because it's some of the best music that's ever been written. And um, so a lot of that is, and occasionally a pop song or two, although it's not my, it's not my main, (laughs) my main thing, but um, so I've been doing a lot of that and that has led me to now Um, in the middle of doing Phantom. Well, actually before Phantom, I've always, I've always really loved my yoga practice and especially when I moved to New York I I needed it desperately well, I, to I stay grounded ask, I was gonna ask how did yoga come into your life because I have a, a yoga practice that's very you know important to me and so how did it come into your life yeah well I the first yoga class I took was in high school and it was actually at a really small little studio in the small town in Texas that I grew up in I think it was the only yoga studio anywhere near us and um, I had never done it. I had never really even heard of it. And I took this class and because I was a dancer, the physicality of it really appealed to me. Um, but I certainly didn't understand any of the sort of mental or emotional aspects of it. Um, but I remember when we did Shavasana at the end, I had this, like the first time I'd ever felt that way experience. And I thought, Oh my gosh, this is so powerful to get to just lie here and be still. (laughs) I've never done this before. No one's ever explained to me that I can just be still and that's that's good, you know, that's acceptable. And so that kind of clicked something into gear that stayed with me for a long time. And I, I practiced and all through college and um, when I moved to the city, kept practicing and found a studio in Queens that I've been with now for like six years practicing. And um, I did my teacher training because I had a month in between jobs and I had a little bit of money saved. And I thought, you know, I'm just going to do this because I would love, and I, I, even if it just deepens my practice, then that's that's enough for me. But um, I did my 200-hour training, and it was one of the best months of my life, and I learned so much about myself, and um, I decided that I wanted to continue. So I, I really sort of, the, the thing about yoga that's always been appealing to me is the... Um, the sitting and the stillness and the sort of uh, relaxing elements. So the asana, although I love doing them and I love vinyasa and um, I think it's all really valuable, I've always been more um, attracted to sort of a slower practice. So I started. Yeah, you told me more. that you you teach primarily restorative yoga. Yes. So restorative and yin both um, are the two things that I teach and. I find that when I practice at home, that tends to be what I do as well. So that's kind of what, what I'm drawn to because my life is so hectic and crazy and I'm always going and going and going. Anytime that I can just sit down and, and be still, I cherish that time. So that's what I want to teach people. I also because I think, you know, in New York especially, we we don't really allow ourselves to do that. We also kind of demonize it sometimes because we think we're not being productive and we're not, you know, we're not doing anything that matters if we're not going and going and going. And so I, I love the idea of teaching classes that make people slow down because it's, although it can be jarring, I think at the end people are always saying to me, Oh my gosh, thank you so much. I didn't realize how much I needed to be still, you know, and, and be quiet and just, you know, be with myself for a minute. And um, so that's primarily what I teach, but I noticed, when I was doing Phantom, the the show was so demanding and so uh, exhausting that I was just, I was in a constant state of 
exhaustion. And it was actually really difficult to find ways to sustain the show because um, that's not something that you're taught in school, right? I mean, I wasn't mm-hmm. ever taught. I was taught how to sing and dance and act and read music and, and do all these things, but no one ever said, like, here's how you're going to sustain doing a Broadway show for a year and a half and, like, do the same thing over and over again. And so yoga was my way of, of understanding that and how to replenish myself when I felt like I couldn't do it again. And um, so through my practice, um, I continued to want to teach. So I, I did my restorative and my yin training um, right after I was done with Phantom. And now teaching has become a, a bigger part of my life because I, I think it's so important, especially for creative people and actors, because we aren't given a lot of tools how to um, – replenish ourselves and how to stay creative and stay inspired and I think New York can be really um depleting yeah. <laughs> so if you don't know if you don't know how to to kind of fill that well again then being creative is doesn't feel enjoyable uh I found myself not wanting to be creative I was so tired that I just thought I don't care I don't want to do anything I don't want to make new work I don't want to think about new things because I just am so tired so Yoga was my way of figuring out a way to balance that out and find a way to um, to love what I was doing again and to love what what I do really love to do. But it's it you know you have to have a well there to draw from, and the only well, way I to have, do that is to yeah I have go a ahead. Questions based on kind of what you've been talking about, and um, you talked about self motivating when you, you know, how to be self-motivating. So how do you self-motivate? And also, you know, how do you keep your spirits up? You talked about how you auditioned for about a million things before anything goes. So how do you keep your spirits up during all the auditions? Oh, yeah. Those go really well uh, hand-in-hand because um, rejection is, I mean, rejection is the name of the game. That's that's what we do. You know, I I might do... 40 auditions and I might get one of them that would be like a good those are good odds so it's it's never and it never gets easier truthfully I mean I think even when you talk to people that have been in the business for 50 60 years they say that never really changes so I think the most important thing to deal with that is acceptance Um, I struggled with a long time especially once I sort of reached a certain level I thought, well, now I should just always be working. I should just get every job, right? Because that's that's the way it works. If I've already done it, then I should get the next one and I should get the next one. And I had to step back and say, well, no, that it's not going to change. Rejection is, is rejection. And, you know, we walk into a room to audition and they might see a hundred other girls that look just like me. And I might do a wonderful job with the material and feel really good about it and it doesn't say anything about me that they say, no, thank you. It says that, you know, they have a lot of pieces to juggle. They have to think about the entire production and, you know, maybe they wanted a blonde or maybe they wanted someone that was taller or maybe they were picturing someone with a little bit of a different vocal quality. And, you know, there's so many different elements. And I think as actors, we, because we have to be so focused on ourselves so often, um, we tend to, to immediately go to the critical side, which is that, oh, I'm not good enough. I didn't I didn't do that well enough. But I've really been trying to work on just allowing it to be what it is and saying, well, I didn't get that one, but maybe the next one or, you know, maybe the next one. And so I think 
you know, acceptance is the first and most important thing in that because it rejection will always be there. And mm-hmm. um, the the harder you fight against it, the worse it feels because you, you think you're doing something wrong when, you know, and everybody has bad days, you know, so you walk in and you have a bad audition. That happens to everybody and it will never stop. So, you know, the easier and the, I think the gentler I am with myself, all I do better work that way anyway. So um, coming back to the yoga always, that's, that's a good thing to practice as well as like being gentle with myself and allowing things to just be what they are instead of constantly saying, well, I wish it was this or it should have been this, you know. Um, And the, the self-motivating thing, I mean, that's, that's number one as well, because we, you know, in school, it was so structured. And in any training program, you know, someone's giving you, you're going to do this, 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 you're going to go to ballet class, and you're going to go to voice lesson, and then you're going to do this, and you're going to have homework, and then you're going to go to rehearsal, and then you're going to go to sleep. And the next day, it happens again, and happens again. And so when you move to New York, I think a lot of people who go through training programs or universities or whatever they're doing, to move to New York and then suddenly have no structure, it, it can be very jarring, because you have to be the one that wakes up and says, okay, well, I'm going to work on it. You know, I'm going to be the one that says, okay, today I need to take a voice lesson or today I need to practice my scales or today I need to take a ballet class or, you know, go through my book and and review my material. So it's no one standing over you saying you should do this. Um, You have to be the one that does it. And I think people learn that in different ways and, you know, over different times, but for me, I think self-motivating has never been too much of an issue because my favorite part of being an actor is rehearsal and practice. So I love the part where we're figuring it all out. I love the part where we're messing up and making mistakes and changing things and reviewing things. And that's my favorite part. So that's the part that I love to get to. And Mm -hmm. To get to that point, you know, you you have to do your own work. I have to come home and I have to memorize lyrics and I have to review lines and and make sure I'm I'm on top of my game and that's that's why I do it. So for me, I think that was instilled truthfully from my dance teacher because it was just sort of ingrained in me over and over and over again that no one was going to do the work for me. So if I wanted it to happen, I was the one that had to do it and. I think that that's a, you know, an invaluable lesson that she taught me and as well as many other things, but, um, yeah, my husband, is, my husband, Saban, you know, he's a, he's an artist and he yes. has learned how to be an, quite a good businessman, but it was definitely a process. And he talks a lot about how art schools for the visual arts, they don't really teach students how to get their career started as an artist. So these kids go through right. art school and then they come out and they don't know, how to make money at it. So I think, you know, you got some of the, sounds like in your senior year at Michigan, you know, doing the senior showcase, you got a little bit of a transition period there. Definitely. And I think because the, you know, Michigan is one of those schools that is like, it's one of the top musical theater programs. So there's a lot of people who respect the program. There's a lot of people who know it. Um, and we've had a lot of wonderfully successful uh, graduates. So all of those graduates being in New York have created a network and we actually joke and we call it the Michigan mafia because there's so many <laughs> of us and we all kind of know each other. And there's like very much a familial um, element to the school. And 
because of that, I mean, it was, it was hugely helpful because I felt like if I ever had any questions or, or doubts or if I was going, oh, my gosh, I really don't understand how to do this or how am I going to make this happen, there was always someone, you know, within a phone call or within a, you know, coffee date that I could reach out to and say, can I just pick your brain about this because I, I'm not quite understanding it yet. And I've definitely done that with people uh, that have graduated since. And I think it's, it's wonderful to have that network of people that you can rely on because it's hard to teach, you know, taxes in college because college kids don't care and they don't have any sort of framework for it. You know, why would I care about what I can write off when I'm a senior in college and I've never had to think about that. And, you know, suddenly it becomes a very real thing when you're living here and you're having to do it. But, it's hard to teach people things that they don't have any sort of reference for. And so it's definitely, I think, a, um, maybe a downfall of, of many arts programs. You know, they can't teach the practical business elements because there isn't really a setting to do so because they're, you know, they're so focused on the performing or the, the actual art of it, the, the technique, and um, they can't focus on all the other stuff that surrounds you know, what we actually just want to do. Well, tell me, who has inspired you? Oh, my gosh, <laughs> so many people. Um, I think growing up in a theater, it was a professional theater, so I was watching and working with people who were making their living as actors. And I think from a really early age and still, the people that I'm most I most admire and I'm most inspired by are the people who are not, you know, famous Oscar winning actors, but people who continue to do the work and are able to make it, make it work. You know, like Mm -hmm. people who you might not know their names, but on their taxes that they are an actor. Like that was always, I always joked with my mom and I, I still do. I'm like, if I can say on my tax return that I'm an actor, then like, I'm successful because that's what I want to do. I'm not in this to win Tony awards and Oscar awards and make millions of dollars. All those things are fantastic. And, you know, when they come to people and when they um, happen to people, I think they're a result of really hard work. And I think those people are always really appreciative, hopefully of, of the things that they've earned, but, you know, we can't set out to, be that way. So I've always really admired and and been inspired by those people who I think continue to do the work, even though they aren't being constantly praised for it and constantly awarded for it. Um, And I think that's, that's like a hugely admirable thing about so many actors, so many working actors in the country who we don't maybe know who they are, but they, they continue to do it and they continue to love it. And um, as far as like, you know, other sort of iconic people I've always loved watching old movie musicals and um I still do and I just think that some of the performances you know Doris Day and Gene Kelly and Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers and these people that are so iconic but there's a reason I mean you go back and watch these performances and Ann Miller I mean it's just it's so timeless and they are they are the people who I watched as a child and went oh my gosh that's incredible how do they do that and I want to someday be able to do that and um, uh, I think as far as theater people um, 
Rebecca Luker, who is a really sort of well-known um, soprano in the Broadway world, musical theater world, she was actually one of the first Christines in Phantom of the Opera. And I've always looked up to her. I mean, I've, I listened to cast albums she was on obsessively as a child. Um, I memorized all the words so I could sing them with her. And I'm convinced she probably taught me how to sing <laughs> more than, you know, any teacher because I just listened to her over and over again. And um, I actually, in the dressing room at the Majestic when I was doing uh, Phantom, one of the drawers that I would open, I kept like, you know, my tights and my point shoes in or something. I opened that drawer and Rebecca's name was carved into one of the drawers. And that was always a very like um, sentimental thing for me because I would look down and say, oh my God, that's, that's my idol. And I'm sitting in a chair that she sat in and I'm doing something that she did. And I got to meet her last year and at a concert I was singing in and I mean, I, I totally freaked out and had a fan moment, but she was, she was so lovely. And I, it was so wonderful to be able to say, you know, I, I admire you so much and the work that you do and I'm, you know, following in your footsteps in, in some ways. So um, and then cool. a million other people, a million other people who I see their work and I just think it's incredible. You know, I just saw Hamilton and I, I was just blown away. And I think Lin-Manuel Miranda is incredible and, and remarkable. And I, I left so inspired to just do work and do more things, create more things and put them out into the world because that's, uh, that's what we do. And can you... Um... Tell us, what are some of the major challenges you've faced in your work so far? What are some of the rewards? And what were some of the detours? And this goes for your work both as an actress and as a yoga person. Yeah, I think I think some of the challenges are, you know, as actors, we don't uh, have a lot of control because we're not producing so, you know, in, in the hierarchy of theater, there are producers, then there's the creative team, and then there's the actor. So we have to do what's given to us in some ways. And that is frustrating to me sometimes because I want to be creative regardless of if someone wants to give me a job or not. So it's it's kind of finding a balance of what are things that make me feel fulfilled that I can do on my own, you know, I that I can, I need to make my own opportunities. And I think, you know, we see that a lot with people who end up being really successful. It's because they, they were frustrated with the system in some way. And they said, you know what, I'm going to do it on my own because I'm, I'm sick of waiting for someone to give me the perfect opportunity. I want to make it for myself. And so as an actor, that's important because, you know, you can sit around and wait all day long for the perfect job to come by and it might never come. So, what can you do that will still fulfill you that um, you can make happen? And I think with technology and the way that everything is going, it's it's becoming more possible than ever to get work that you want to be seen out into the world for, for little money. And that's I think that's wonderful because it allows people an opportunity without having millions of dollars to produce a Broadway show to do things that make them happy and, and make them feel like they're doing good work. Um, I think detours, I mean, this year has actually been a really interesting year because when I left Phantom, I, um, I kind of felt like I had made it in some ways because I had done this 
big thing and I had accomplished this thing that I had always wanted. And it felt very amazing on one hand. And at the other time, on the other hand, I thought, well, what am I going to do now? I mean, I've done it. Like I, I did what I set out to do. And so it's for me, it's this whole year has been about sort of making new dreams and, and sort of going like, okay, well, I dreamed for so long that I would be on Broadway and that I would star in a Broadway show. And I did that. And so what, what else can I do? What else makes me excited? What else inspires me? And so what are some of your new dreams? What are some of your new dreams? Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, I love, I love performing and I, I want to perform for a long time, but I'm also really interested in teaching and, um, uh, the not-for-profit world in in general. So I think um, I've sort of been dreaming about maybe going to graduate school and pursuing um, my master's in theater education. Um, I'm really interested in theater and creativity as it pertains to young, early education, because I think it's you know, as an example of myself, I mean, I saw how it affected me and my ability to learn and my ability to retain information and be inspired and just be an all around, you know, sort of responsible, good member of society. And I think anything that I offer and contribute as a human being is because of my early education in the arts. And I think that's so important. And I don't see enough of it really anymore, because I think we're just losing sight of its importance. And, um, that's something that this year I would love to consider maybe going back to school at some point. So that's, that's kind of in the works. And um, I love singing with orchestras and symphony orchestras. And that's been a dream that has been coming uh, to reality a lot this year. And I've been able to do things that it, it feels really wonderful to just be able to get up and stand up in front of an audience and, it's usually with very little rehearsal. So there's something very spontaneous about it. And um, that makes me feel very alive and creative because it's the sort of the opposite of doing something like a long running show where you're doing the same thing every night. And um, that's been a really nice detour this year. So this whole year has kind of felt like a detour, but um, I'm excited for what comes next. You know, it's, it's sort of um, a never ending road of going, well, I guess, you know, this can take me here. And as an actor and as a freelancer, just in general, you know, there's so much uncertainty, but I think for a long time that that kind of scared me and it made me go, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? But I think this year has made me see that it all works out and I'm excited by the uncertainty now and kind of, you know, the more uncertain I am, the more chance that I'm going to be pleasantly surprised by something that just sort of presents itself and falls into my lap. And, um, cool. so, yeah. So how have you had to think outside the box in order to be successful? Well, that's, a, yeah. Um, I think I've had to think outside the box because just from the practical standpoint of surviving in New York, um, I think it's so difficult to live here and I, you know, my fiance is also an actor and we talk a lot about not having a normal or in quotes, normal life by us both kind of, you know, he just closed a Broadway show. He was doing Dames at Sea. And as soon as that closed, you know, it's, it always feels very strange to kind of start 
back at square one, which is essentially what we do. You know, we, we kind of reach these amazing heights and then they close or they end and we kind of feel like, oh my gosh, am I back where I started again? And in those times of uncertainty and times of unemployment and times where you're going, I don't know what's next and I don't really know how I'm going to make ends meet, um, it makes you be really thrifty and creative, but in a, a really exciting way. I mean, we're doing a lot of, we're about to go perform in Telluride, Colorado together for this um, uh, songbook festival, which is something that we never thought we would do, but it was a, an opportunity that presented itself and we thought, well, that's great because that helps us, one, pay our bills and it also feels very um, fulfilling and it's something we get to do together and, you know, um, yeah, talk I also about teach some of your this. upcoming events. Talk about some of your upcoming events. Yeah, so I, we're going to tell you right in a couple of weeks. We're going to Ann Arbor, Michigan to perform at um, the University Musical Society Cabaret Series. Um, I have a show at George Mason University um, in, outside of D.C., which is going to be with the Fairfax Symphony Orchestra, and those tickets are on sale now, which is exciting. It's a, an Wait, all Where are they on sale? Show. Um, they're on sale on the George Mason University website, so you have to go through them. But I think um, if there's not a link on my website yet, there will be very shortly. So you can also go through my website um, to buy those tickets. But and and that tell, give be, your website again for the listeners. Yes, it is www.marymichaelpatterson.com. Um, and, and can that's listeners where, contact you through that? Yes, there is a contact page that goes directly to my email um, and that's where all of my sort of upcoming events will be, which is uh, good because they're all posted there. And if tickets are available, if they're not a private event, some of these are private events, but if tickets are available, there will be a link on the website for those. Um, what else? I'm trying to think. I think those are the upcoming ones that I can think of right now. And where do you see your work in five years, 10 years, and 20 years? And this might go towards that evolving dream you were talking about. Yes. I think in five years, I think I will still be performing, hopefully, and I will be in New York City. Um, I think in 10 years, I would love to be teaching, um, maybe full-time, definitely in 20 years, teaching full-time. I I have a dream that I will be the head of a musical theater department and I will run it myself and teach and um, create the curriculum, which I think is, uh, I'm really interested in that as well, mostly because I I'm, do a lot of traditional musical theater in my work um, and I want to celebrate that and I want to help younger generations uh, hold on to that work because it's so important and I think it's wonderful to see all of the new work that's being created, but um, we can't lose sight of, you know, the great American songbook and um, people that have definitely built uh, musical theater, American musical theater, which is our, you know, one of our only truly American art forms. So I, I want to help maintain the history and, and preserve it. So that's something that I would love to be doing in 20 years. That's cool. Um in terms of the unusual journey, what are the common obstacles that people face who want to make a difference in the world as you as you want to make a difference? I think we it's hard to 
um, it's hard to make a difference sometimes because we get bogged down by or we get um, sort of stopped by systems, you know. We, there's all these, like, systems in place and steps to go through and bureaucracy and things that, you know, it's sometimes it feels like it's um, unattainable. You know, we can't get to where we want to get to because we're going through all these steps in this red tape and stuff. And I think that that's, I, at least from my friends that I talk to about that, and we kind of sometimes sit around and go like, oh my gosh, if we could just do this, if we could just get around this, or if we just had enough money to do this. And so there's a lot of sort of obstacles in that way. But I think, I think we're going toward an age that's maybe sort of breaking some of those down. And we're, we're kind of learning that we can do without some of those systems and without some of those steps. And and maybe it helps people, especially who are creative thinkers to have a little bit more freedom and a little bit more space to create, and that will inevitably help things to get done, you know, initiatives to get through. So and even if – Do you ahead. have a dream or a fantasy that you and some of your friends will get together and foist your own production of some wonderful American musical? Oh, absolutely. I would love to do that. I would love – I would absolutely what love would to do that. What would the musical I think um, – something that – is already written, you're saying? No, it could be the Like one. a classic. Could it be a classic? Well, or I think you want to, or do you and your group of friends want to, you know, create something original? In, well, that would, in that the tradition. would be, yeah, I mean, that would be incredible. I have very, I'm surrounded by people that I'm amazed by, and they're always writing and creating things, and I would love to, have a space or, you know, a community of people who um, could get together and, and collaborate and create more work because I think that's hugely important because without that, you know, space to collaborate, we won't make any new work. We have to uh-huh. have a, you know, a platform to do it. Um, and so I think that that would be incredible. And I, but I also think that, you know, like I said about, remembering the classics and honoring the classics. And I think that there's something really valuable about reviving a piece of theater that's really iconic and doing it in its iconic form and just doing it really well so that we see how it was intended to be done. You know, um, I think we're obsessed right now with changing things and making them modern and new and um, updating them, you know, or we have to update. But I think that there's something really beautiful about going back to something and saying, this is just the way it was written and there's beauty in that because we can see how things were in 1950 or 1930 or, um, and it can kind of be a window into those people's lives. And, you know, more often than not, I think when we look back, we actually see more similarities than we think we will, you know, we go like, Oh, they, they weren't so different than us. Their struggles weren't so different. And that's, I think really valuable. And um, even though they didn't have iPhones, even though exactly, yeah. So if you could <laughs> wave a magic or, wand, right? If you could wave a magic wand, what show would you revive? I would revive Carousel because uh-huh. I think it's my favorite musical of all time, probably. And what, what role yeah. would you play? Julie Jordan. Yes, the lead girl. Uh-huh. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think the music is, I mean, it? 
Oh my gosh. Um, you put me on the spot. I don't know. I would have to think about. I would have to think about. You know, who some of my options and. But I, I would definitely want to do it in. Um, I mean, not in a traditional way, but I would want to sort of honor the story and the music because it's such a, it's such a heartbreaking and beautiful story, which I think is so relevant still today. And, um, yeah, I I love that. I love that show. So that one, but there's so many others. I mean, Oklahoma, I love Oklahoma. Um, any Rodgers and Hammerstein is, is good by me. I'll revive any of them. <laughs> okay. So here's a question. Um, we have about seven minutes left. Where have you failed and where have you succeeded? I have failed at – I I'm not a great auditioner. Um, it's something that brings says me a lot of anxiety. Who, says the woman who's been in two Broadway plays? I Says the woman, yes. But has auditioned for, you know, like 400 more than that. Um, I'm not a great auditioner, mostly because I put, um, I'm a perfectionist, and it's something that I'm working on letting go of. But I tend to dwell on things that I don't do as well as I would have liked to, and you know, oftentimes uh, I'll get a call from my agents at like 6 p.m. on Tuesday and I'll have an audition on Wednesday at 3 and I'll need to learn three different songs and four different sides and go in and do my best. And for me, that if I don't do, a, you know, as well as I know I can, I get very frustrated and then I become very critical of myself. And so I fail at auditioning a lot because I sh- I'm working on just being able to go in and say, here's what I've got right now and then leaving the room and letting it go. And if it happens, it happens, and if it doesn't, it doesn't. But um, that's something that I still struggle with a lot because I, I, I go in wanting to, to give them a polished, perfect performance, which is unreasonably – I mean, it's unreasonable to ask. There's just no way. Um, but I succeed at – I succeed at um, continuing. Like, I, I'm good at just saying – you know what, <laughs> this is what the situation is, and I have to just move forward. And um, I was actually, I was flying down to Florida this weekend to do a concert, and I had a horrible upper respiratory infection. I mean, I lost my voice completely on the plane, and I just had no voice. And I was so oh bogged down, and I was sad, and I was, you know, I was like, I'm going to disappoint these people, I'm going to let them down, and that makes me really upset. And um I got down there and I did what I could and I, um, you know, I just, I muscled through and I, I gave this performance, which actually in retrospect was actually a really good performance because I, I had to let go of it being perfect. It wasn't going to be perfect. There was no way, but I brought something else to it. And this man came up to me and he was so sweet and he said, you know, you, you were so honest and you were so alive in your storytelling and I, I appreciate that. And it touched me so because I thought, Oh my gosh, you know, he didn't come up to me and say, you didn't sing that a flat perfectly. You know, you, it wasn't about the technique of what I was doing. It was about the storytelling. And I think that's somewhere where I succeed a lot because I, at the end of the day, I, I try and forget about the technique and just tell a good story and, bring to people the humanity of it. And um, so that this weekend was a good lesson in that because I, I, I couldn't be perfect. I had to let, let go of that idea and just do what I could. And, 
and what I could do and what I did was enough. So it was a good reminder that it's, it's all going to work out and I should just show up and do my best. And, you know, that's all I can do. I I saw this quote somewhere online and reposted it to my Facebook page. It was John Seinbeck saying, now that you don't have to be perfect, you can go out and be good. I thought that was really yes. wonderful. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love that. I think that's a that's going to be my my theme. <laughs> so, we've got about 3 minutes left. Um what do you do in your spare time? What are some fun facts people might not know about you? I love to be outside. I love trees and nature and um I love my dog Massimo, so I spend a lot of time with him and um, actually, my fiance and I are both really interested in uh, food and cooking, and we are going to start making our own jams and jellies and preserves and pickles. And we are bottling our own beer now, and so we're we're hugely domestic people. <laughs> so we love being around the home, doing things. Um, Mary, hello, Mary. Oh. We almost, we lost you, I you, think. Are you there? I'm here. Did you lose me? Okay. We did. You said the last thing I heard was that you and, and your fiancé are bottling your own beer? Yes, we are. <laughs> um, but I think that's, you know, we something I love in my to do in my spare time is just to be at home. And I'm I'm a big reader, so I love anything that allows me to be with my family and my dog. And so... Um, we're always looking for excuses to stay home and cook or, you know, do anything, anything domestic. We love, we love all of those things. That's cool. Well, can you, just yeah. before we go, can you tell listeners where, once more about your website and how they can find out more about you? Yes. So my website is www.mary, M-A-R-Y, Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, Patterson, P-A-T-T-E-R-S-O-N.com. Uh, there's a contact uh, link on my website, which goes directly to me. Uh, there's also my representation on there if there's any need to contact them, but you're always welcome to contact me first. And all of my future upcoming projects, shows, will be listed on there. Um, and you have and a Twitter I account. Have, I do have a Twitter account. My handle is um, Mary Michael Pat P-A-T-T. And that's a good way to keep updated as well. Um, I also have an Instagram account. If anyone has Instagram, I love Instagram. It's at mmpatter, P-A-T-T-E-R. Um, so those are good ways to kind of keep in touch with me and see what's going on. And um, uh, I am I, not great at social media, but I'm trying to get better. <laughs> so um, I'm making an effort to kind of keep things updating so people can know what's next and where I'm going and all that stuff. Well, Mary, you were amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I really thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I had a great time. Thanks, Mary. So that was Mary Michael, um, Mary Michael Patterson, who's a Broadway actress and yoga teacher. That was a wonderful interview, and she's a very lovely person. And um, next week, I believe it's Bruce Coville. I think he has agreed to do the show, but I don't have his information yet, so keep checking the page. And pretty soon we'll have Sabin Howard and Joe Weishauer. So listeners, I'm sorry about sneezing and snuffling today. I'm just getting over this cold, and tune in next week. Till then, bye-bye. This 
This has been Tracy L. Slatten on the Independent Artists and Thinkers Network. Thanks for joining us. Come back next week.